Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast. Welcome, first-time listeners, to the Two Scene Podcast, the podcast where two journalists sit down and talk baseball. I am your host, Tyler Foy, and with me, as always, is the wonderful Camilo Fonseca, and Camilo, in between episodes, we have had some fun events um, come to fruition. And one of those wonderful things that happen in January every single year is that we get the results from the Hall of Fame voting. And this year, we only had one um, new entry from the ballot and then one from the Veterans Committee. And so I think that's the perfect place to start. And why don't you lead us into that? Yeah, so the Veterans Committee, I mean, that was a little bit ago. That was um, Crime Dog, Fred McGriff, um, of Tampa Bay Devil Rays fame. Um, And, of course, other teams. Uh, But he was elected, I think this was his first year on the Veterans Committee ballot. Um, And it was interesting because he only got to 40% of the ballot in his 10 years on the writers on the writers ballot but i think i mean i I know that you you think that this is a a good um inclusion and i would tend to agree because just looking at the places that uh, fred mcgriff ranks among uh first baseman in the hall and the sort of accomplishments not only the accomplishments that he he had in his career which you know was a very long and and um accomplished career but you know he was seven home runs away from breaking the from breaking the 500 home run mark um you know and that was while playing some of his peak years during the you know the the 94 strike was the 94 season was arguably his last truly great year Um, he was on pace for an mvp season yeah absolutely and that he was you know one of the the consequences of that strike shortened season is that we never know what would have happened but i think for sure he would have broken 500 home runs and once you break 500 home runs i mean that's i feel like that should be an automatic inclusion into the hall regardless that's one of those statistical markers that you know once you reach that point it really has to take some mitigating circumstances to not be in the hall um so i absolutely think that was a, uh, an oversight by the writers um when he was on their ballot, not getting in. And I'm glad that uh, Crime Dog is getting some recognition. Yeah, you know, I was a massive um, a fan of this decision. And I've been advocating for him to be in the hall, saying that he's one of the people that weren't. You know, we've theorized different podcast episodes. And one of them that has been on our radar has been players that are not in the hall already that deserve to be there. And he was one of my players that Top I... Top of the I, list, probably. I really picked out for that. Yeah. And you mentioned the career milestone markers. And I think that is one of the most important things to discuss when we look at this year's and somewhat of the previous year's um, Hall of Fame voting and what this means. You know, So Scott Rowland makes it in as well through the natural process, um, receiving 76% of the voting... And he was another player that I don't think had all the statistics behind him um, in terms of at least offensive. You know, he crossed a 2,000 hits mark, uh, which is huge. Um, But in the other areas, not too much accomplished besides 
that defense, which is, I think, one of the biggest selling points that you can have on a player like him. And I think what we're seeing and what is telling about uh, the way the voting went this year is that some of those milestone markers that were so important for players to reach if they wanted to be in the Hall of Fame are being, um, I wouldn't say overlooked, um, but maybe the threshold is becoming lighter in that sense. I don't and know then, that that's true, though. Because, because the voters are getting younger and looking at other statistics. At, uh, exactly. Which is why that is happening. Right. But I don't think, I mean, first off, I, I think Scott Rowland, I think he's a worthy inclusion of the Hall. I, we're, I think we're both on the same page in that we don't want the Hall of Fame to turn into a Hall of Very Good. Not like um, the NFL. The NFL is one of the worst Hall of Fames in terms of, you know, uh, actually rewarding the the fame part, I think. Uh, but I guess the other the issue with the NFL is just that there's so many players per team that yeah. it can kind of get a little... Really, the, ba- the Baseball Hall of Fame is... And this is I not really our... our bias as, as baseball fans i really think it's it's one of if not the most uh respected hall of fame out there among fans of of all sports you could make a case for the hockey hall of fame and i guess i don't really know much about the the basketball hall of fame i understand there are a couple of those but regardless i i think that the role and in inclusion was justified not only because of his, his great defensive metrics i mean that's been known he on the surface is not you know, doesn't seem like a very flashy offensive player, but, you know, 70 career war is nothing to sneeze at. Um, especially considering, you know, compared to other third basemen, he's an, he's that's an above average uh, war for that position in terms of people in the Hall of Fame. You know, the only people he's, he's um, like, he's above Edgar Martinez and uh, Home Run Baker, which, I mean, nobody knows Home Run Baker now, but, like, he was thought of as the greatest first baseman of all time until, you know, the 80s and 90s when people, you know, more people started to come around. But I absolutely think, you know, is he in the upper echelon of Hall of Fame players? Probably not. But I I certainly think he has accumulated the statistics and, and the prestige to get there. The other thing is that we always have to look at where these players played and how that affected their name recognition um, their uh, popularity with the writers. You know, Scott Rowland spent so much of his career on really bad Philly teams. Like, the only shining light of that Philadelphia team was the 2008 World Series, right? Everything before that was just atrocious. And, you know, you could say the same thing for Fred McGriff. I mean, he played with the Blue Jays before the Blue Jays were really good. He played in San Diego a little bit. Um, the only team that he played on with real success was uh the 95 braves you know so Um, known as the braves the team of the 90s the team of the 90s yeah but you know and why we mo we associate him with the braves so much right now i mean most of his career peak was with those with san diego with toronto um you know the, the i think the reason that these players had such a hard time uh getting in the first place, especially for Fred McGriff, is that they just simply didn't command uh, the recognition that a lot of their peers did. The other thing, and this is, I don't want to stick on Fred McGriff for too long, but it's so crucial to remember that he played during the steroid era, and he is, you know, 
the the part of the feel good narrative around this is that he's one of the players that there's little to no suspicion of him using any sort of PEDs, you know, compared to Barry Bonds or or uh, Mark McGuire or the other people, the other first baseman that you know beat him out to. I ju- I think that that is that sort of mitigating circumstance also has to be taken into effect when you're comparing across eras. Sure, and and one um, getting back to Scott Rowland's case, um, I think one of the things that really sticks out to me is kind of Rowland's journey on the ballot. Because I think he's been one of the players that I've seen most campaigned for. And throughout social media and through content creators pushing for why Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. And I'm not sure. I, and this could just, once again, this is coming down to um, voters being younger um, with the newer the newer rules and, and all that that's been put into place for it. Um, I'm not sure if Rowland makes it in if you know twitter isn't popping off every single or for the last couple years about scott Rowland's career and there isn't you know i don't want to say foolish bailey was a massive part of it (laughs) but i mean he was he absolutely was in influencing the public opinion to come and advocate for him sure but i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing at all in fact i i would contend that if anything it's a good thing because it's it's including you know uh, perspectives other than the stuff because we know how stuffy the veterans committee can be in terms of their evaluations of, of players sure um i i guess the real question is is how does that sort of um because you're right it really was a, a a cultural campaign at least in a sense in order to get scott Rowland uh into the hall i wonder if that plays out with you know a any other players on the ballot or any players that are are on the ballot in the future, you know. I mean, we already see this sort of thing with going on with Billy Wagner, um, who I again I've said it before. I think Billy Wagner absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, so yeah, let's 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 look into the people that are still I think on right. the ballot uh, that are currently did did not make the cut. Todd Helton uh, claimed seventy two point three two percent of the voting uh, didn't exactly make the cut. Um, I think this would have been one of the best years for Todd Helton to make it in because I do see this class as a weaker class. Um, the mm-hmm. only real surefire Hall of Famer that's going to be entering the ballot is um, Beltre, Adrian Beltre. Yeah. Next year, that's the only one that I've seen that is like oh, that guy's that guy's a Hall of Famer. He's first ballot. Yeah. No sure. doubt about it. Um, so he's going to be taking some votes, but I'm not sure if how much it's going to affect any of these other players on here. Um, but Todd Helton, I would say, would probably be one of the players most affected by it, being Maybe, that he's a position also, player it's that possible. is a corner and also not just a corner infielder. He played outfield, of course, as well. But but he's also at the point where, you know, will it be more difficult with, with an influx of, of more suitable candidates on the ballot? Sure, but he's at also at 72%. You know, I can't see... Maybe that slows his momentum, but I think he's so close that I, I would be surprised to see Todd Helton not make it in by his 10th year of eligibility. I don't know if I'm that confident. I've seen these I've seen these percentages go up and down drastically year to year sometimes, and I could see him being one of those players. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to the silly um, course effect 
narrative that is with any Colorado Rocky, um, any longtime career Colorado Rocky. And then I don't think that that's not, I don't, hmm. I'm not saying that he's not going to get in because of it, but I am saying that it's made it extremely challenging for him to, yeah. to I mean, make certainly it. to this point, that's certainly been a lot of the, the big qualms of, of voters. Um, but in terms of, you know, Beltre's surefire, let's talk about, I mean, Joe Maurer, uh, I think, has a shot at getting into the hall. Um you know, Chase Utley maybe has an outside shot, but really, I I don't know that um, there are really that many other strong candidates. I'm surprised to see uh, Carlos Beltran, um, you know, f- 46% on his first time on the ballot. It's nothing to sneeze at, but I would have thought that there would be, you know, a little more of a push to get him in his first year. Um, and obviously there are mi- some mitigating circumstances around that. But. Yeah, you know, it's nothing to sneeze at, as you've <laughs> mentioned a couple times now. Um, but I think what is more impressive, talking about first-time ballot members, um, and maybe not impressive, but telling, is that uh, A-Rod only got 35.7% uh, after he's been trying to establish a new image mm-hmm. uh, through his broadcasting and and public image and owning the Timberwolves, you know, he's done a lot of things to reestablish himself from his, well, not liked by the media phase, which he still isn't liked. And him having 35%, one is very nice, very nice to see. It would have been nicer <laughs> if he was lower. Um, but it's strong. It's a strong thing to see that, they're not bending a knee towards, you know, his statistics. You know, obviously his statistics speak for themselves, but then he has everything else that's behind that. Yeah, they're really not budging on... Uh, I mean, we can talk about personality, but I think it, uh, the the writers have made it very clear that at least for now, they're not even open to considering uh, PED users. Um, I, I mean, we had that discussion with Bonds and McGuire and, and, and Sammy Sosa... But now that they're, you know, sort of le- these less higher, well, I guess you couldn't really say that A-Rod's a less high profile, but, you know, talking about Bagwell, Gary Sheffield, um, these everybody who has the taint of, of PEDs is not even close to getting a look in. You know, if, if Bonds didn't get a look in, if you're Gary Sheffield, you're sure as hell not getting in at this point. And in terms of players not getting in, there was only one player that had reached the end of their uh, time on the ballot and will not be returning, and that was Jeff Kent, who received 46.5% of the votes. And it's a shame to see, honestly. I was very strong on Jeff Kent because second baseman, not n- known for their offensive stats. Obviously, the one that's what you know sent him into um or obviously that's the reason he didn't get in but i feel that the voters really weren't comparing him to other second basemen uh which maybe maybe they shouldn't but i thought that he should have had at least more of a look in more of a look in yeah yeah i i can see that for sure i mean jeff ken is another player that i was i was strong on but 
you know, other than him, uh, oh, th- can we talk? Who fell off the ballot? I'm looking at the list here. Jacoby Ellsbury, zero votes. That's really funny. Uh, Jared Weaver, Bronson Arroyo, uh, Mike Napoli. Interesting. I would got have, one vote. He got one who, vote. Who is I... the one vote? That's my question. John Lackey. This was so. What I I presume is Bronson Arroyo, John Lackey, and Mike Napoli all received one vote, and I guarantee you. Same voter, and I bet you was a, a Boston or a Massachusetts <laughs> reporter. They didn't like Ellsbury enough because he went to the Yankees, so they didn't give Ellsbury a vote. Right. Um, but he definitely also voted Who do for think Manny that was? Ramirez. Dan Shaughnessy, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't, I no, don't, I don't think, think so. He didn't even vote for Ortiz. Did he? Oh, that was Dan Shaughnessy that didn't do it? No, oh he my did not God. vote I for heard that, I remember that it was one Boston sports writer. I didn't realize it was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am I'm certainly okay with uh, Scott Rowland getting in, um, but we do have to. That is with the caveat that you know he should not be considered. Um, he, we shouldn't be looking at at uh, his career as a um, threshold for thir- for third baseman in the hall. Sure, if that makes sense. Sure. So one of the things that you brought up to me was the, you know, statistical comparisons to Evan Longoria. Yes. And I was wondering whether or not you wanted a platform to speak about whether you think Evan Longoria, based off of Scott Rowland making it in, is going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, I think Scott Rowland opens the berth um, a little wider for a lot of players, in particular a lot of, of third basemen. And Evan Longoria is certainly in that group. And I think he's he's probably one of the more prominent players uh, that whose careers are, are similar to Scott Rowland. Um, I wouldn't say that he's a Hall of Famer at this point. You know, I think he needs a good uh, season or two of, of some good offensive production to, to start and get in consideration. He's still, uh, if we're still talking about thresholds, he's still under 2,000 hits. Yeah. I think, uh, and I'm not sure how, how close he is to that. I believe he needs 150 or, or 200 more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I certainly, I mean, I don't have to... Uh, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat my desire to have a uh, somebody wearing a Tampa Bay Rays cap in the Hall of Fame. Um, and I think that Scott Rowland makes it a lot more likely... Um, that he does eventually get in, but likely and probable are two different things. And I know batting average doesn't tell a story of a baseball player anymore, Um, but I was looking at some of the numbers, and the biggest discrepancy to me that I saw was that uh, Evan Longoria's career average is 30 points shy of Rollins' average, um, which put Evan Longoria career... Um, batting average of 251 if I remember correctly that sounds about right yeah so so I don't know I mean like I said I think a lot of that is from uh, the last couple years Um, so he really if he would want to you got to look at a career you know when you look at the hall of fame right you got to look that's true no absolutely I I don't I'm not disagreeing with you I'm, I'm saying that I think he would have to find some sort of return to form if he wants to uh have a real serious candidacy uh, but I don't think that's impossible at this point. 
And moving on from those that are going to be remembered in the league forever to those that are playing and trying to make a name for themselves and trying to make a case for themselves, moving from one Tampa Bay legend to another. Oh, yeah. There was some news that broke out for um, the Tampa Bay Rays that is quite positive in terms of continuously putting out a great starting rotation. Camilo, take us away on what has happened in Tampa. Yeah, so Jeffrey Springs uh, signed to a four-year, $31.4 million extension. Uh, I'm a massive fan of this. I think Jeffrey Springs is, is... an incredibly underrated player. And I'm not, I, I really, I, I can say that about a lot of uh, players in Tampa, but genuinely he is, um, you know, 2.46 ERA uh, last season. I think that's top 10 in the American League, or, or close to it anyways. Uh, he was one of the players that really came out of nowhere after being converted from a, a reliever. I mean, the same, you could say the same about Drew Rasmussen um, this past season how about ryan yarbrough ryan yarbrough i don't know that you could say the same in terms of you know you win some you lose some in you terms lose of some uh, <laughs> um, but i think springs has absolutely been a success story for the Rays front office and it's good to see that they're um you know people joke and ah the rays don't retain any of their players and that's true the rays don't really retain a lot of their players but this rotation um that they've assembled and now locked down until uh 2025 26 27 is i think frankly uh incredible you know sprint you're looking at something where um you've got two potentially three uh possible cy young candidates for next year um, I I would say, based on their performances last season, Jay McClanahan, Tyler Glass, now easy, uh, Cy Young candidates at least from a preseason perspective, and you could maybe throw Jeffrey Springs in there as well. Uh, Zach Eflin's not far away. Drew Rasmussen's not far away either. So, I'm very happy with this signing. Um, this has been a difficult off season for the Rays, and by difficult I mean nothing has happened. Um, but you know I'm I'm. I'm comforted by the fact that if at least if there's no offense, we'll have pitching. Oh, pitching. That's a joy. I wish the Red Sox had some of that. <laughs> but the Red Sox did make a move themselves. Uh, they were able to e- acquire um, Adalberto Mondesi, and he's going to be playing shortstop for the Sox uh, going forward. The issue with him is he is a very injury-prone shortstop. Uh, the last three seasons have been the seasons where he's been declared the starting shortstop over in Kansas City. And he's just, I don't know, he's hes not looked fantastic, but I think he's going to get a do a pretty good job. And a lot of the reports are actually saying that Adalberto Mondesi is going to be playing second base and Kike is going to be playing shortstop, which I don't know if I agree with at all. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's just a haze of confusion and... and and I don't even know how to describe the Red Sox infield situation at this point. Uh, I don't know if I'm as hot on this signing as you are. Um, You know, rocking that 140 uh, batting average uh, last last, uh, season. I mean, that's only in in 15 games, so I I suppose that's not a great sample size, but, you know... 
Adalberto Mondesi is not the key to this team contending, I don't think. Let me put it that way. I don't know. I mean, no, I, I, I agree <laughs> with you there. I can't say, oh, no, this is going to be the, the World Series signing here. Um, but under the circumstances, I actually am quite uh, inf- uh, fond of it because he adds a different look to this team that the team didn't have before. He's one of the best base stealers in the league, or at least he was prior to his injuries. And I know he still has it. I know he still has the speed. Um, so he's going to be a great threat on the base paths. Uh, just a different look, a different look from, from what the Sox have on their general roster. In terms of depth, I think it's a it's a pretty good acquisition. Um, but, of course, the Red Sox need to do a lot, and they have brought in a lot of players. And we'll get into our offseason gradings, which I'm very excited to do. Um, somewhat probably during spring training, um, once pitchers and catchers report on uh, February 15th, I'm sure we're going to get a lot better of a look. But, um, yeah. True. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a, a great transition for you there. Um, other than, I mean, we can go to the other um, acquisition that we just heard a couple hours ago. The New York Mets uh, signed a four-year extension with Jeff McNeil, $50 million. Uh, this is, I think, a great piece of business for the Mets, you know, who I think are, I'm used to seeing Steve Cohen overpay for things, um, you know, because he wants them. Again, shiny toy syndrome. But this this McNeil deal, I think it is very not that it's a, a steal, um, but it's I think a team friendly contract for sure, especially for your National League batting champion last year. Get oh, him on twelve point five million dollars a year. That's no, this fantastic. is fantastic. This is a fantastic deal, as you mentioned, um, for the Mets. Uh, terrible for our friend and colleague Colin Kapoor, who absolutely despises <laughs> Jeff McNeil, the flying squirrel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a great baseball player. Some would say an even better golfer. And, um, <laughs> yeah, the Mets didn't overpay on this one. And the Mets are definitely a team that love and love, 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 love to spend. Um, and sometimes they overpay. But, uh, moving from one team that loves to spend to another, uh, the Los Angeles Angels are no longer going to be sold, it seems to be at least. I would really say that this is, I mean, I know we're, we started the show with, with uh, the Hall of Fame voting. I think this is really the big story of the week, um, that Artie Moreno is not no longer selling the Angels. Uh, I have no idea what's happening in, in that front office, in that ownership group. I guess Artie Moreno's committed to winning uh, with Shohei Otani in the one year that he has left with him. Um, I don't know how that's possible. Because I don't think that they've done enough to this point to get them to the place where they can contend in the AL West. Um, yeah, I, it's it's very difficult for me to see optimism with this group, especially with the same ownership group, because we've seen the same story for the past 20 years, you know? And nothing has changed. Um it's hard for me to see Artie Moreno turning that around in the next three to five years, especially if we don't know if Shohei is going to stay around. We don't know if they're going to be rebuilding. 
I don't think he wants to rebuild. No, no, obviously not. Obviously no. not, you know, but I don't I don't know what's in his head or what he sees as the way forward for this team because I don't I don't see the way forward for this team. Yeah, me either. I, you know, I don't I don't exactly know too much about the the Angels prospects and and what those could be doing in the near future, but I'm sure what happened was the value for the baseball team just wasn't there, right? Obviously, they had a number that they wanted to reach if it reached that point in bidding or if they found a, pro- a proper suitor for it that they were going to sell the team. And maybe – do you, I, I don't know what they were asking but for. But based on the reports, I'm just confused because I've the, – the reports that I've seen, you know, it's it looked like there were four to five different bidders. Uh, that were bidding well above market value for it. You know, I think the team was valued something like two billion, um, and people were uh, bidding upwards of three three point five million for that team, uh, billion. Excuse me. Um, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know. I I I don't know if those numbers are exactly right, but it what what is clear is that people were were willing to bid above market value for that team, and. Artie Moreno decided no. I think he he and I, I'm sure part of that is a personality uh, or a personal decision rather because you know it's it, I'm sure he has a very strong attachment to the team, but it's I don't know I'm I'm speechless I don't know what goes on in that man's head. Yeah, I, I think um, I think maybe there's a little bit of pride behind him, and I don't think he really wanted to sell the team in the first place. I believe it was a decision that was most likely pressured on him. And then after having some time to think about it, he decided that he didn't want to let go. And you you mentioned the attachment. He's been the owner of this organization for quite some time now. And it's very difficult for any person in any field to kind of separate themselves from a piece of their lives that they've had for so long and i i i agree i do i don't know you know what was going on in his head and it did seem it, it was extremely sudden i was quite shocked when i saw that he was not going to sell the team but um yeah i just i just wonder what it's been like for angels fans uh obviously we don't have one in the booth today but I can't imagine that they are feeling too wonderful about that piece of news. No, definitely not. Um, but like I said, maybe, you know, maybe we give Artie Moreno some benefit of the doubt. Maybe 2023 is the year that he starts to turn things around. Maybe they perform well enough that they can reach an extension with Shohei Otani. I mean, we know that Art- that he's willing to spend money. So uh, uh, an extension with Shohei Otani is, I don't think... Out of, Come the question. out of the question you know it, that's going to be a lot of money and but he's gonna and they're gonna spend it they love spending they love spending you know and this is a player that if you can get rid of of just some of the bad contracts that you have not all of them just some of them just offload people with retained salary or whatever i don't there's got to be some way like if you can find a way to re-sign shohei otani do it you do yeah absolutely He's a not just a generational talent. I know we love to use that word when describing players, but he 
genuinely puts so many uh, people's butts in seats, you know, like he brings right. in the fans. He is the marketing child for baseball the money maker for... at the moment. I don't know what the statistics on highest uh, sold um, jerseys were over the last season, but Shohei Otani, I know for a f- not for a fact, I guess, but from my own <laughs> speculation, yeah, he's going to be at the top of that list, you know. So it's definitely going to be a good uh, thing for them to do to re-sign him. So yeah, you know, that's that's the MLB where we're at recently. And um, it's it's an exciting time, of course. And on the topic of, of jerseys, just to, f- just to really round out this episode, because I don't think we've discussed it at all. Have you seen, and this is just open conversation to you guys as well, if you guys want to tweet at us, um, the new Twins helmets look absolutely fantastic. I love the new Twins helmets. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say I love the new twins jerseys. I think they're so clean. The helmets, um, I think I'm going to take some getting used to. Um, and I don't know why I don't like them because usually I'm a sucker for that sort of, you know, seventies, eighties retro stuff. I don't know. It's something, I think it's something about the curve of the, where it's like a, it's curving in, it's like convex, not no, it's concave, not convex. Um, that's kind of weirding me out a little bit. I don't think it looks bad or ugly by any means. Um, I guess I'm just not super sold on it. I, but that's really nitpicking. I think the new jerseys, them, the new look is fantastic. Um, <laughs> new look, but they bring in their uh, old players, right? Mm. And uh, get rid of new look being uh, Pablo Lopez, I guess, because... Louis Arias. Louis Arias is never gonna wear those threads, which never. is tragic. But he's gonna be able to. But wear... he's gonna wear the Miami City Connect threads, which is <laughs> much, which is much better. Don't even get me started. Oh, oh I God. love those. My, I still can't believe. Oh, we've talked about this, but I can't believe that those Miami City Connect threads are just not the normal jerseys for that team. Because I think that jersey is genuinely one of the best jerseys in baseball. Sure. Yes. Yes. I, they. They definitely are. I don't think they should be the regular jerseys for that team. I do. I That's my hot take. That would be very strange in terms of the uh, other other jerseys and other colors that they've been associated with in the past. But Rebrand, you know? Rebrand. They, every, team, they, every team needs a good rebranding. Miami does it like every three years. So. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think they need another rebrand. I'm quite fond of their black jerseys, I actually. Mm, I, it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't I, do it for me. I like it. I like those jerseys. And I'm also just excited this year for some new City Connects to be released. Tampa Bay. So, well, so here's the, here's the question I'll ask to you. Do you think the Rays, uh, and I'm going to indulge my, this is a Rays question, but do you think the Rays will get a Tampa City Connect or a St. Petersburg City Connect? Or neither? Hmm, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that question. I think it will be Tampa, but... It would be cool to see St. Petersburg because I don't think a lot of people outside of Tampa Bay Rays fans will really, you know, like I think it would be a surprise to a lot of people. It would. Um, I don't know that they will do St. Petersburg just because I don't think that's something that you can market to Rays fans outside of St. Petersburg. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I think uh, uh, 
both for fans and non-fans, I think the Tampa jersey is more a Tampa City Connect jersey is more marketable. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what they'll do. They could do something with both. I have no idea. That's just an interesting uh, thought. Who else needs City Connect jerseys? Boston Seattle. Needs, Boston needs a new one. So, Seattle. But Seattle uh, needs one, yeah. Especially because Seattle's really marketable right now. I think it's a good time to go over Seattle and put one on them. Um, of course, it's never been about the marketable teams. So we've seen multiple, you know, like the the Diamondbacks got one. And, the Diamondbacks and, ones were clean. We have to, we have to uh, talk about these City Connects more in depth at some point. But I really love those Diamondback City Connect jerseys. Yeah, they were they were very nice. They were very nice, and um, I'm very like I've mentioned earlier. I'm very excited to see more City Connect jerseys and more options for fans to buy and buy in on. I know I've missed my fair share of those jerseys once they go on sale. They sell pretty fast, and I've missed my fair share. But I'll, hopefully, I'll have a better chance this year. And um, yeah, so that's gonna do it. For uh, this episode of the Two Scene Podcast, um, happy to put one out week after week. You know, yeah, that's what consist- we do here. Consistency is key. Consistency is key. And consistency on Twitter accounts should be better as well on our social medias. We're working um, on it. You guys can follow the Two Scene Pod on Twitter and Instagram to get updates for when we are publishing. Uh, for new episodes as well as following the respective podcasts on your respective platform um but if you wanted to see what we have to say uh, in our own daily lives whether it be sports politics or business or just fun laughs you can see find us on twitter on our own individual accounts mine being tyler underscore underscore foy and camilo you can find me at f-o-n-s-e-c-a underscore e-s-q on twitter We thank you for listening to this episode of the Two Scene Podcast, and we are excited to see you again for the next one. Ciao.